Let's prepare our hearts for the word of the Lord. The first scripture reading this morning is Psalm 25, verses 1 through 6. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. The second scripture reading is from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in an anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The word of the Lord. Waiting. Morning. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I am not good at waiting. Some of you may have heard about the discovery of the shortest unit of time known to man, the honkosecond. At one point in history, time was divided in days, and days were loosely grouped together into seasons and repeatable times. Then eventually the days were divided into hours. Amongst other uses, hours marked the duration of a soldier's watch upon the city walls. Like soldiers throughout history, time, hours passed slowly as one soldier impatiently awaited the arrival of their replacement, the new watch. Today, we have subdivided time into successively smaller units, shorter units of time, milliseconds, microseconds, nanoseconds, picoseconds, but we often overlook the honkosecond. The honkosecond is measured from the time when the street light across the intersection turns green to the time the driver behind you start impatiently In our impatience, our desire to get through an intersection, the effort to shave a minute or two off of our daily commute, there is a basic question we all too often fail to ask much less answer. That question is, what are we going to do 
with a few extra seconds or even minutes that we gain. Advent, which means the coming, the coming of Christ into the world, the coming of Christ into our hearts today, Christ coming at the end of time is all about waiting. All too often, we lose sight of what all this waiting is about, much less the biblical context of waiting. Modern birthday celebrations are somewhat like that first advent. To the expectant mother counting down the days to the expected delivery date, waiting is an incredible and wondrous mix of anticipation tinged with doses of anxiety, anxiety both for the health of the child and what she'll be going through in the birth. After that, celebrations of birthdays seldom refer back to that first literal birthday. They become a mark of a passage of time, or perhaps they're a mark of anticipation of what is to come. I would say most of you probably remember waiting for the 16th birthday so you could get a driver's license, or whatever other milestone there may be. But as we age, birthdays start to lose their significance. In fact, they start to even be darkened somewhat by the thought that we may not have all that many more birthdays to come. In Advent, we seem to be fixated on just one aspect of Advent when we focus only on the birth of Christ. And we probably don't do a good job even of that. We impatiently await the celebration, countless shopping days until Christmas or the shipping deadlines to get packages to family. Or perhaps we open little doors on an advent calendar. But we focus more upon our celebration, presents and family dinners vacation trips, football games. We focus more upon them than we do upon the arrival of Christ into the world. Nor do we join the expectant mother full of anticipated wonder at the arrival of a new life. As we heard earlier, Jeremiah states, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Let's put this waiting into perspective. Jeremiah's prophetic ministry was approximately 400 years after the time of King David. And the Lord starts with, the days are surely coming time at which God would fulfill his promise to the houses of Israel and Judah was still in the future somewhere. That's an incredible number of honkoseconds. God's people 
were not sure of exactly what they were waiting for. Perhaps this signaled, this signaled the arrival of an earthly king, perhaps a judge, maybe even a priest who would somehow reconnect, reconnect them to God in new, amazing ways. Few thought of a combination of all of the above, a righteous leader who would also provide heavenly salvation. They were also equally unsure of what they were supposed to do while they were waiting. Their history cycled between times of great faith and worship and times when they would seem to turn their back on God and go their own way. At times, they waited patiently. At other times, they wanted to take God's plan into their own hands and move it forward, such as when they led a revolt against Rome and Jerusalem. The passage from Luke points forward to the time of the third advent, the coming of Christ at the end of time. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. As many, as, as many predictions have been made in the last 50 years as to exactly that, when that will occur, I think we can be confident of two facts. The first is that it has been a very long time, almost 2,000 years since Luke received and recorded those inspired words. The second, pretty confident, is that the return of Jesus is still in the future. What do we do as we wait? We do have some idea of what we ought to do. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We are to celebrate, not fear Christ's return. We are to lift up our heads with the knowledge that our redemption is near. But do we really know what are we to be doing between now and then? So, all of you impatient folks, to include me, what are we supposed to be doing? What is the answer to the question? What are we going to do with the few extra seconds or minutes that we might save prior to the return? I suspect that we can properly take the answer to that question to heart, even as we are impatiently awaiting the celebration of Christmas Day. Returning to Judah, in those days and that time, or Jeremiah, in those days and at that time, I, God, will cause a righteous branch to spring up. In those days, Judah will be saved. The branch was an often used symbol in prophetic writings. The root from which it extended represented continuity a firm and established foundation from which the branch established perhaps a new direction. The Lord, through Jeremiah, 
declared that Jerusalem would be known by the same, same name as the Messiah. The Lord is our righteousness. That earthly gathering of God's people, the center of where they worshiped in Jerusalem, would be known by the same name as the Messiah. This mysterious linkage, linkage between God and mankind continues today as we are also linked to God. We have the same name as our Messiah. We are called Christians, Christ followers. Now the branch was a well-known symbol for prophetic writings, but it's not so well-known today. Our signs and our symbols have changed. Some clever person will eventually create an emoji, you know, those little symbols you use on your cell phones to, for shorthand. Somebody will create a great emoji that represents the fullness of our divine Redeemer. Then we could use it as a shorthand to talk about Jesus and send it to all of our friends and everywhere else. But think about that sign and symbol. If it describes Christ, it also describes us who carry Christ's name. Excuse me. With that thought, let us return to the second meaning of Advent, the coming of Christ into our hearts, our lives. There is a Jewish legend of the angels and the divine image. A group of angels heard that God intended to create humans in God's own likeness, and they thought human beings unworthy. So they plotted to hide the image. One proposed a mountaintop, but another angel pointed out that human beings climb and would discover it. Another suggested at the bottom of the ocean, but here too there was a flaw in the plan. Human beings are naturally curious about the world and would descend and find the image even in the ocean's floor. Finally, the shrewdest angel proposed that the divine image be hidden within human beings themselves because that is the last place they would be likely to look. And so it was. We are challenged in these Advent times to think about how we reflect the divine image, how we reflect Christ coming into our lives. Now, there are some bad examples that you probably ought to avoid. For instance, if he, if he only knew the Bible as well as I do, his life would be much better. There's a difference between being righteous, being in a right relationship with God, and being self-righteous, 
I follow the rules. Well, leaving out grace and mercy by following the rules tends to leave out Jesus himself. Jesus hears my prayers. Well, yes. But prayers are not push-button requests, but just one part of developing a relationship with God. As we wait, we should be focused on Jesus, on a relationship with Jesus, through whom we become righteous by his grace and his mercy. We can use our time to live the psalmist prayer. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. We are not waiting for gift-giving, football, fancy meal, or any of the other things that we might use a few saved honkle seconds for. We are waiting for redemption. Redemption that entered the world on that first Advent day as Christ was born. Redemption that arrives anew as we come to faith in Jesus. Redemption that will be completed when Christ returns at the end of time. Marguerite Higgins was a correspondent during the Korean War. One bitter winter's day, she began interviewing a muddy Marine who had just returned from a grueling battle. As he opened a tin can of sea rations and Higgins and began eating, Higgins said to the young man, if I could give you anything in the world you wanted, what would you ask for? The Marine thought for a minute and then said, give me tomorrow. Tomorrow is what the prophets promise to us during Advent. Even as we wait to celebrate the coming of Christ into the world, we should also be seeking one more day, one more tomorrow, to seek God's righteousness, to share that image with others, to prepare to stand up and raise our heads. We are promised never-ending heavenly tomorrows, but even as we wait for those, let us use our earthly tomorrows wisely. Use them to discover the divine image within us. As part of discovering that image, let us continually allow God to teach us his ways, his truth, 
and walk with us along the paths of righteousness that he guides us into. And as we become more like the divine image, the image within us, as we wait and watch for the signs that Luke mentions, let us also be a sign and a symbol to others. We do that since we share a common name with our Lord and Savior. There is, and God forgive me, you'll learn I occasionally include something a little lighter in services, a story of a Baptist brethren who got to the point of the offering and said good news and bad news. The good news 